0: Welcome to another Abiding Thought. Today I want to discuss a very familiar passage and one that I remember years ago when the faith, word faith movement really began to take off in the early to mid-70s. And obviously that's uh, an aberrant theology that's been around for a while, but it really began to, uh, to take off with a number of televangelists in the early 70s and onward. But the verse that uh, they always cited was Second Corinthians chapter five, five, verse seven. In this, um, verse seven, for we walk by faith, and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And as is the case with anyone, whether they are uh, word faith, whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's uh, Calvinist, whatever our theological position may be it's always a dangerous thing to extract any portion of scripture without grounding it in context and by that what I mean is not taking a single verse and uh, and expounding it or uh, taking a single verse and using it as inspiration no we can we can glean from we can we can take uh, anything from any particular portion of scripture and glean from it in a very in, In a concise sort of way without doing all of the groundwork of saying this is breaking, you know, exegetical breakdown and so forth. I think that can be done, but still, even in our application and use of any particular verse, it still must be grounded in context. So, in other words, what we say about it and what we reason from it still must be grounded in some sort of context so that we don't just take words and make them mean what it never was intended to mean. So for instance, it was taken to mean we walk by faith and not by sight. Um, As if somehow, and and here's how you can take that out of context. A, by not defining faith. What do we mean by faith? Uh, Faith is not a power. Faith is not something that we exert faith is really trusting in, well, we always talk in, in historic Protestantism that faith consists of three elements. It consists of information or knowledge. Then there must be agreement with that knowledge. And then thirdly, trust in that knowledge. And I'm just using the English terms, not the Latin, to just kind of qualify what we mean by faith. In which case, faith always has an object. In other words, we have faith not in ourselves, but faith always points to something outside of oneself. There is a an objective body of truth. There is an objective individual outside of me that I have information about and that I believe the information that I have received. And then I trust and therefore act on the information that I have received. So faith is not the ability to bring something out of nothing. Faith does not emanate from me. Faith is trust. And so when Paul says we walk by faith, what he's saying is we walk based on our our walking or our living is based on what we trust. And we trust something that we don't fully see at this moment. is not physical in the sense that we can see it. We trust Jesus, but we don't see him. But what we know from the record of Scripture and from outside sources outside of Scripture, that a man named Jesus of Nazareth lived in the first century. We know that. That's objective, verifiable information. As Christians, we believe that that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God because of the records that's contained about what he said and about what he did. So we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we believe according to the scriptures that he lived for our righteousness and he was crucified. But we understand also that even though his death came at the hands of men, there is a theological purpose being demonstrated in his physical death. That's what we believe. And so we believe that he died and that he was raised on the third day and 40 days later he ascended to the Father. There's enough evidence that we believe. And if one chooses not to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you're free to not believe that. So if you find it difficult to believe such a thing, then you're free to not believe it. But the Christian faith According to what we believe scriptures to teach, we believe that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a Roman cross in which he satisfied the debt for sinners that God appointed him to save, and that he was buried and three days later rose, 40 days later ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we believe all the scriptures teach concerning his presence right now on our behalf before the Father. That's what we believe. And we believe, furthermore, that according to the scriptures, that he will return. And in his return, he will bring both judgment and reward. Judgment for the unrighteous and reward for those who look to him by faith. So when Paul says we walk by faith, what he is saying, in essence, is that we live as if those things are true. So let me just now provide uh, some context for what Paul says here and the immediate context of what he says because this is really it's not the conclusion of a thought but it's one of the subconclusions and so it begins earlier in chapter 4 so the immediate context for what he says let me read it in chapter 4 of uh, 2 Corinthians Um, and we'll look at verses 16 through 18. And again, this is sort of the ending of a transitioning of an argument that he's made earlier or a point of view that he has presented earlier. But beginning in verse uh, 16 of chapter 4, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. Three things that we want to look at in relation to that, um, are giving the context for Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Uh, and then we'll come back to the statement itself. So three things that uh, can we can glean. One, Paul's statements about walking by faith and not by sight has everything to do with the reality of our per- perishing outer self. And what does he mean by the perishing outer self? Because he says we know that our outer self is wasting away some translations it says the outer man, indicating uh, the life, the soul that lives within, but the physical body. That's what's really being alluded to, the physical body. And here's the, the difficulty. When we look at the physical body and we're not able to run as fast, jump as high, endure certain things that we used to be able to do, it can cause you to lose heart. And we, we should make adjustments in terms of things that we do or even attempt to do according to our age. <laughs> Certain things I would not try to do today that I could do even 10 years ago because the, the truth is our outward man, outward person, our physical body is perishing away. We are reminded of it day by day. The second thing that contextualizes this this statement is the reality of afflictions. So, apart from even the outward perishing of the flesh, Paul talks about our light afflictions. And of course, he's using the term light in a relative sense. And the relative, uh, the point of of contrast is the, the afflictions that we endure and the greater work of glory that is. That is prepared for us, and Paul is saying by comparison, the glory that we presently share and will share for all eternity, is is really not to be compared to our afflictions. So therefore, they become light by comparison. But here's let's pause for a moment. Our afflictions are real. I think of uh, the letter in in the book of Revelation. Not only do you have the overarching message, but you have the seven letters to the individual or the seven individual letters to the individual congregations. And particularly particularly, I think of the letter to the church of Smyrna. And here's what the Lord says about them He says, I know your tribulations and your poverty, but then He slips this in parenthetically, but you are rich. And it's obvious. That by tribulations or their poverty, he's referring to perhaps their bank account. He's referring to what is what is on paper, what is recorded about them. But when he says, but you are rich, he's basically saying that you have more than what appears on your ledgers. But what appears on your ledger is real. And so when we talk about our afflictions, that... We have faith that we, we, we believe that we are in a right standing with God and that God's blessings are upon us. And so we walk by that trust, even though we know that our body is perishing, even though we know that we are uh, not only is our body perishing, our health is failing, our physical strength is growing weaker, and on top of that, there is the reality of afflictions. There are things that we encounter, not always just because of our faith. Some afflictions are simply because we live in a fallen world. Uh, we, we don't suffer uh, violence and other things simply because of our faith. And, I, and I, I'm always careful on that because there are people in various parts of the world. There are believers who are suffering specifically Physical persecution specifically because of their faith. But that's not always going to be our case. Sometimes we will suffer afflictions because we have not always been kind. Sometimes we're going to suffer afflictions because others, for their own purposes, are not kind to us. But sometimes this, the afflictions that we endure. The trials, the loss of stuff, the loss of status in this fleeting world will cause us to question whether or not we are in a right standing with God. But then thirdly, the context of Second Corinthians five seven is seen by the daunting is, is is established by the daunting appearance of things that are seen, not just afflictions. And not just the failing of our physical strength and diminishing health. But sometimes just the physical things that are seen in this world can distract us. That's the way Paul expresses it here in verse 16. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen. Why? Because the things that are seen, he says, are transient, but they can be daunting. Let me read from uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, and I want to read verses 25 through 26. The writer says, do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being caught. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that's presently under the curse, under a curse. It's, it's under a curse by its creator. And we will experience some of what it means to live in a cursed creation. And as we see these things, whether it's the failure of governments, as we see warfare here and there, as we see economic rise and fall, as we see people becoming more and more uh, falling or, or following the, the dictates of their fallen appetites and flesh, we will be discouraged by these transient things and God forbid that we should seek eternal value in transient things. And so all of those three things is what gives context to what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the fact of our or of our our, uh, perishing outer man, the fact of afflictions and all of the things, the transience of the things that we see around us, the, the terrors that we see that's happening through, to, and from the wicked in this world can cause us to become discouraged. And Paul's whole point is, no, we don't live by those things. We don't live according to what our health tells us. We don't live according to, according, our, our living is not driven by afflictions. That, In other words, trusting God will give us a trouble-free existence until the Lord returns. That's not what causes us to trust. And We don't live according to the institutions that are failing and fleeting. We walk by faith and not by sight. We live according to what God has promised and provided through the person and work of Jesus. We live according to what God has said about his son and what his his son has accomplished in this world and the fact that his son is right now at his right-hand side. That's the basis of our living. And that's what gives us comfort. And that's what gives us confidence as we experience everything else. And that's why Paul opens chapter 5 by saying that we know that if this earthly tabernacle of a tent is dissolved, we have another building, another fleshly existence that's not made by hands, but it's eternal in the heavens. Because we walk by trusting what God has said about what his son has accomplished and not by the outward appearance of perishing things. Amen.